Are you having fun yet? This might be the most fun we've had until next Sunday. <laughs> this is awesome. Hey, we're going to be in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2. And a few, uh, just last week, we began a sermon series that really is a vision initiative. It's, it's a chance for us as a church to, to look at who we are and, and what we're called to do and what kinds of things we need to do and the changes that we need to make to move the ministry and the mission of Central Church forward. And one of the things that really is driving this inflection point, really this is a crossroads. It, it is this, this call to be renewed in some things that are, 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 are rich in the Central Church story. As you look at what God has done in the past, as you look at people that have gone before us and the legacy that is handed to us as the, the current generation known as Central Church, I think there's three things that, that God has blessed in the past in our congregation. We're, we're a people of passionate worship, of life-giving community, and purposeful mission. And as we think about making changes to our facility and, and, and doing things that, that help us do the ministry and the work of the church, this is not about new carpet or new paint or a new speaker system. This is about a people being committed to these core values. It's about a people being committed to God's mission in the world. None of our pastors or none of our board members we have any interest in, in doing capital projects just for the sake of capital projects. We are deeply committed to empowering the local church to be engaged in the mission of God. And we're deeply committed to empowering the local church to renew our commitment and our resolve to these three core values. If we can be committed to these things, then we know God is going to bless our ministry in the future. And today's really just an, the evidence of that. Today is just evidence of how God has blessed steps of faith in the life of Central Church. People are joining the church today. Families are presenting their baby for dedication. In a few moments, several young people are going to make a decision, or, or, or to, they're going to be baptized, representing a decision that they made to follow Jesus. This place is alive, and it's life-giving. And it's been that way for 82 years. And I want to ask the question, as we continue down this journey, I mean, how does that even happen? I mean, how does an organization thrive and, and become this life-giving community of people for 82 years? And the short answer is, is real easy. It is only a miracle of grace and the Holy Spirit that we would be here at this moment, continuing to celebrate baptisms, continuing to celebrate new members, and continuing to walk with families as they dedicate their children. Only a miracle of grace. But there's something on a practical level that's happening. While we can, we, can, we can gather in this place on the Lord's Day and say that Central Church is alive and it's thriving, we can do so because we have a legacy of people who have come before us who have trusted God in the midst of change. The world is a different place than it was 82 years ago. But this church continues to thrive and will continue to thrive because we know this to be true, that churches thrive when they're able to trust God in the midst of the inevitable reality of change. Really, the only thing that we can be certain of is this inevitable reality of change. 
So that sort of snapped into focus for me yesterday. Did anyone get up early and watch the coronation of King Charles? It was pretty hard to miss. It literally was on every television station. Turned the TV on. I was like, this is America. This is not the United Kingdom. Why is this on TV? I want to watch SportsCenter. <laughs> so I watched a little bit of the coronation of, of King Charles. And, and, and it's really fascinating. And, and I love all things Britain. I, I really do. I love visiting there. It's, it's one of my favorite places to go. And in 2015, Lauren and I had, had the chance to go. And of course, we went to the Tower of London, and we saw the crown jewels. And it is, uh, it is unbelievable to, to just be there in the Tower of London, this incredibly old structure. And then there's these jewels that are old and of inestimable wealth. And they've, like, here's the, these crowns that have sat on the heads of, of, of monarchs. And, and yesterday— was like the one moment when some of that stuff comes out of security and onto someone's head. Like, that was like the one moment. And it hasn't happened in however long Elizabeth lived, 70-plus years. So that was the, the, the moment that, that you know, it, it, I mean, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Clogged up all of our television stations. But— as I'm watching it, and I'm watching this, like, gold carriage, and I'm watching, like, the pomp and the circumstance and, and all that stuff that goes on, there was a little bit of a propaganda play there in all of it. The, the, the whole pageantry and the whole thing was a way of saying, look, in the, in the midst of a world of instability, in the midst of a world of constant change, 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 there's one thing that doesn't change— the British monarchy. You can count on the British monarchy. Well, sort of. You follow the news, haven't you? I mean, even the British monarchy with the stiff upper lip and all of that, even that institution is not impervious to the winds of change in our world. But they wanted to make you think so yesterday. It was all the stuff from hundreds of years ago that they were doing again to say, this is the thing you can count on. And I, I think the church has a different play here. I think the church has a different response to change rather than doubling down on the things we've always done. I think the church has a different message for the world. In fact, the great prophet Bob Dylan, he once lamented about change, didn't he? Some of you were around when this song was new. But he said, the line it is drawn, the curse it is cast, the slow one now will later be fast, as the present now will later be past, the order is rapidly fading, and the first one now will later be last, for the times, they are a-changing. He's not wrong, is he? He's not wrong. The one thing we can count on is change. But, but Dylan really just offers a lament. One day the last will rise to the first, and as soon as they rise to the first, at some point they'll be last again. 
he's just lamenting kind of the nature of life and how change comes at us and there's really not a whole lot we can do about it but get an acoustic guitar and a harmonica and write a song about it. But we are resurrection people. We believe in a God who's making all things new. We believe in a God who is present. In a few moments, you're going to see some baptismal candidates go underwater, and they're going to come up as a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so the church has a message of hope in the same God in the midst of unprecedented change. So we pick up with Elijah and Elisha in the book of 2 Kings. Talk about change. They were going through it. 2 Kings begins with an account of the death of Ahab. Ahab, probably the worst king in the history of Israel, he's finally dead. And you'd think it would be a good thing. But really, the way they're telling the story, it's not. Because what it does is it, it creates this power vacuum. He was a terrible king. Maybe the worst in, in Israel's history. But what he brought was predictability and stability. I, f I imagine the people of Israel saying, oh, yeah, yeah, Ahab, Ahab. I mean, I imagine the people of Israel reading the newspaper every day. Oh, what, what, what's Ahab and Jezebel doing again? He's a scoundrel, but he's our scoundrel. He's a scoundrel, but you know what you get with Ahab. You know you're going to get idolatry. You know you're going to get Baalism. There's no surprise. There's stability there. Well, all of a sudden, Ahab dies. And his successor is not, gets injured and is, is on the brink of death. And who's going to take his place? And he's not able to lead the military campaign. And, and the one thing Israel has going for it, even though they face a lot of pressure from this kingdom called Aram, they're at least able to subdue this kingdom called Moab. Moab's kind of like their vassal state. And the one thing Israel says is, well, we're never going to be as great as Aram, but at least we're not as bad as Moab. And Moab decides, we don't have to pay you tribute. We don't have to do what you want us to do. We're going to revolt. Because Ahab's dead, and you got no one to take his place. And so there's all this change, and there's all this upheaval going on politically. And in the midst of that, you also have an aging prophet. You have Elijah, who has already chosen his successor of Elisha, but nobody knows when this transition is actually going to happen. And so you got politics all up in upheaval, and then the one person who's calling the nation to worship the Lord they're in a state of flux as well. The times are a-changing. So we pick it up with chapter 2. And so the Lord is about to take Elijah up into heaven. And Elisha knows something is going on. And we read in the text that the Lord sent him to Bethel. And, and, and Elijah instructs Elisha to stay. He's like, hey, I got to go up to Bethel. I want you to stay here. And Elisha says, no, as surely as you live and as the Lord lives, I will not leave your side. Elijah says, fine, have it your way. And so again, Elijah says, hey, I've got to go up to Jericho. You stay here. You don't have to go, Elisha. You don't have to do this. And again, he says, no, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm going to Jericho with you. Okay, have it your way. The third time he says, I've got to go across the Jordan. You stay here. And every time Elijah tells Elisha to stay, it's, it's as if he's saying, look, this prophetic ministry is hard work. This is not for the faint of heart. Elisha, you can, you can, here's your exit ramp. ramp. At any time, if you want to get off, if you want to hand this off to someone else, you're welcome to do so. And every time Elisha says no, 
as surely as you live and as surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. It sounds just like Naomi making a promise to Ruth. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. As surely as you live, as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. And so they go. And we pick it up with verse 7. Verse 7 of, of chapter 2. We read this. The 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. And pause right there. Elisha, having professed his fidelity three times, now receives this request from Elijah. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked for a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw them no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and the left, and he crossed over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed for this fantastic story. It is, it is one of the most unique stories in, in all of Scripture, where Elijah is so connected to what God is doing in the Word. He's so connected to the Lord that he doesn't taste the bitter sting of death, but is swept up into heaven in this whirlwind. It, it just underscores the significance of who Elijah was in the story of God. And it makes Elisha's request that much more amazing. And, and I want us to, to, to make sure we, we see that point where Elisha, he pledges his fidelity three times, and he's now in a position to receive this request from Elijah. Elijah recognizes, wow, he must be in it for the long haul. So I'm going to ask him, what is it that I can do for you before I'm taken away from you? And Elisha doesn't hesitate. He offers this bold request. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now, that's, it's an interesting thing to ask for. It's drawing upon the Israelite inheritance laws. And so, for instance, if you have three sons, when the father died, the estate would be divided in four ways. And the firstborn son would get two portions, and then sons two and three would get one portion each. And so Elisha is recognizing the influence of Elijah in his life. He is like my father. He is my mentor. I am his disciple. I'm following him. And so he's asking for not something physical. This is what's so amazing about this request. He's not asking for a physical inheritance. He's asking for something so much more, so much greater, a spiritual 
inheritance, a, 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 a manifestation of God's power with the same power and the same spiritual grace, if you will, that has, it has inhabited your ministry and anointed your ministry, would a double portion of that be passed on to me when you leave me? What a bold request. And I want us to think about this transition story. This transition story from one prophet to the next, from one period of Israel's history to the next. And I want us to think about our own story and how the central church story is filled with so many people who have invested in young people. They've sacrificed, they've given, they've discipled, they've pointed people to Jesus. And I feel like we're at an, an inflection point in our history where we are we in a position to pray a bold prayer, to look back at the story of our church and to say, Lord, we want a double portion of what you did in the past. As we look back at 82 years of your faithfulness, we want a double portion of that. We want to be more committed to passionate worship than those who go, have gone before us. We want to be more committed to life-giving community than those that had gone before us. We want to be more purposeful in our mission than those who had gone before us. Are we willing at this time, at this moment, to pray that kind of prayer? Let me tell you why we need to. Because Ryan and Michelle just stood before you, and they dedicated their baby. And they said, we want a covenant together that Wren would come to know Jesus. They're counting on you to pray for a double portion. In just a moment, some young people are going to go under baptismal waters. And they're going to come up having received this sacrament of baptism. And you're going to clap, and you're going to say, praise the Lord. But that's not the end point of, that of their journey. Friends, in many ways, that's just the beginning. And they're counting on you to continue to be a people of passionate worship, of life-giving community, and purposeful mission. They're counting on you to pray for a double portion, to say, Lord, would you do more through us at this moment, at this time, than you've done in the past? Now, there's a few of you, you've been here a while, and you hear this, and you're looking at me, the new guy, and you're saying, Mark, you don't know what you're asking for. You, you, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know the kind of sacrifice. You don't know the kind of investments that people at this church have made through the years. Mark, you're setting a bar way too high. And you want us to double that? You, you want God to give us a double portion of that? Let me tell you what the Word of God says. It says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, you finish it for me. All things, you've heard it before, haven't you? All things are possible. All things are possible. And so we're at an inflection point where we are called to be a people of the double portion. To be more committed to these things, not in our own strength, not because we have the human ability, but because God is at work through His Holy Spirit, and He is doing more through us than we could ever do on our own. Isn't that good news? And so, a move of God is on the way. A, a move of God is on the way. The church of today 
recognizes and we honor the faithfulness of God in the past, but not from a place of nostalgia or comfort. We honor what God has done in the past as a way to pray boldly through His Spirit and say, Lord, I want double that. I want you to do double that in the future, and we want to see lives transformed and come to know you and people made more like Jesus. And so what does this move of God look like? Well, go back to the story. I believe this move of God is preceded with open hearts. The, the heart is the seat of our, our, of our affections. It, it's the things that we love. It's the things that, that capture our imagination and our attention. And, and, and it's just the things that we love. And I would say to you that there's something in Elijah's response that almost feels like Elijah isn't convinced this is even a possibility. I mean, he knows what God's called him to do, and he's anointed Elisha to be a successor, but, but he looks at Elisha and he says, do you realize what you've asked for? Like, do, have you heard the story about what happened on Carmel? About the fire and the sacrifice and all the things? You're wanting to do double that? And you know what happened after that? They all tried to kill me. You know that, right? And you want to do double that? You want double the people trying to kill you? Elisha, are you, are you sure what you're asking for? But if you read the text carefully enough, you see where Elijah says, you know what? This is not about me. Here's what, Elisha. If you're present when I'm taken from you, then it'll be granted. It was Elijah's way of approaching this request with an open heart saying, this is no longer about me. This is about what God wants to do. And so he approaches this with an open heart. Moves of God are, are preceded by open hearts, where our, the seat of our affection is open and responsive to what God wants to do among us. But the second thing that happens in the story is we see Elisha receive this mantle with open hands. Elijah's taken up into the whirlwind and the mantle falls. And there's Elisha with open hands and he receives the mantle. And, 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 I, and I just love how he you know, immediately rolls the mantle up and, and strikes the Jordan and the waters part. And, and he says, where's this God of, a, of, of Elijah? Where, where is the Lord? And he gets his answer. The, wa the waters part. It was God's way of saying, Elisha, You've now received this commission with open hands. You've now received this anointing with open hands. You've been granted your request. This is now your moment, Elisha. It's now your moment. You are in the story of Moses, who parted the Red Sea, of Joshua, who parted the Jordan to settle the land, of Elijah, who parted the Jordan. And now, Elisha, you now are commissioned to go and to do what I've called you to do. And what we're going to see over the next few weeks, and I'll go ahead and let it out for you today. Elisha prays boldly for this double portion. If you go back and read the story of Elijah, we read of eight miraculous signs or eight miracles that Elijah does. Elisha prays for a double portion. And if we were to continue and read his story today, how many miracles do you think Elisha would do? This is not a trick question. 16. You got it. The Lord honored his request. 
the Lord did for Elisha what he was unable to do for himself and Central Church, he will do for us. What we are unable to do for ourselves when we pray boldly and we trust him in faith, we know this is a prayer he wants to answer. So in a moment, we're going to celebrate the sacrament of baptism. You're going to see some young disciples go under baptismal waters. But before they do, I want you to know, they are counting on you to be a people of a double portion. To be a people more committed to passionate worship, more committed to life-giving community, and more committed to purposeful mission. Can we pray together? Can today, as we think about this journey, as we think about what God is doing among us, friends, as we think about the inevitability of change, can we pray to the same God who is constant through it all? He sustains and keeps us through it all. And can we commit today to be a people of the double portion? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come now asking for a move of God. We come now with open hearts and open hands. Lord, place a passion in our heart for what you want to do at Central Church. And Lord, place resources in our hands that we can use and that we can surrender and that we can give to see your mission accomplished in the world. We come now with open hearts and open hands, and Lord, together we commit to be a people of the double portion. Lord, this is a high calling. Lord, this is something we're not able to do in our own strength, but Lord, as we sung just a little bit ago, move in the power of your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit. And do what only you can do through us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your blessings in our life. And we thank you for your presence in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.